Thanks for being here. My name's Andrew. I am the family pastor, and uh, I get to hang out with you all today. I'm really excited about this. You know, normally uh, on a Sunday morning, I think I have a, a unique perspective, maybe a little bit different than anybody else here in the Lake Hills family, and it's that I get to go all over our ministries and uh, check out all the different environments that, that we have. You know, uh, for, for many of us, we'll come in this auditorium, and this is really what we know of Lake Hills, but can I just tell you, there is some amazing ministry that's happening all throughout our campus, getting to go back in this back hallway and see all of our little nursery babies being cared for and shown the love of God. Man, I love that. What we say this, that we get to be a great first impression of a baby's heavenly father in the nursery. Isn't that cool? You get to go over to the preschool rooms and we get to see those little guys just losing it, having so much fun, going through their Bible lessons. You get to go upstairs and uh, see kids, they're competing, they're playing in games. Uh, they've got like these team mascots, but they're, but they're like legit learning. They're opening up their Bible. They're interacting with their small group leaders and it's so cool to see our elementary kids excited about church. Like we want Sunday to be the day a kid looks forward to the most because they get to come to church. I get to go over to our student building and see middle schoolers being so awkward. Um, and uh, it's great. Man, those, those small group leaders too, like in middle school, like you're like the special forces of Lake Hills, uh, getting to go and lead a small group of middle schoolers. But, but get to see them raise their hands and engage in worship, get to hear them receive the message and really work through uh, what would it mean if I was to take the Bible seriously. That's happening all throughout our campus, uh, right here, right now. So thank you on behalf of all of our kids and students for your generosity, for all that you sow into our church to make amazing ministry possible. But today, instead of wandering around, I get to hang out with you, and I am really excited about this. Uh, we're in a series right now called First Things First. We're checking out a passage of scripture, very famous. It's in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and maybe the most famous part of his most famous sermon. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna read through this passage. It's Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 25. If you don't have your Bible, good news, you can check out the screen behind me. Here we go, here's what it says. Jesus is talking, he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you're gonna eat or drink, or about the body, what you're going to wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He says, look at the birds of the air. Like, have you ever looked at birds? Like, it's not a fast-paced sport, is it? You slow down. You calm down. Exhale for a second. Look at the birds of the air. Consider them. You notice how they don't sow or reap, or they don't store, in the way, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, aren't you much more valuable than some birds flying around? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Well, no, in fact, just the opposite, we know, right? If you worry, that worry will actually take hours off of your life. And why do you worry about clothes? As a man who has three females in my house, I love this verse from Jesus. Why are we, why, why? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire like it's fuel for your cooking, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
So then do not worry, saying, well, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? For the pagans, those outside of the family, the covenant of God, they run after all of those things. And you know what's funny? Is your heavenly father knows that you need all of those anyways. Here's our key verse. But seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness. And all of those things, those are going to be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And isn't that the absolute truth? Pastor Mac asked me to talk on family. First things first. And the prioritization of our, of our families. And I think this is a noble goal, one that so many of us have, is I really want to focus on my family. Maybe it's that you have little ones in the house and, and you're wise enough to know that these moments, these days, these years are precious and want to focus on those little ones. Maybe it's that you have an elementary child and life is really fast paced. You're out of the diapers, but somehow life got quicker and I really want to focus on like this Goldilocks zone of, of my kids right now before middle school hits. I've got a middle schooler right now. I get it. Maybe it's that you're in, you've got a middle school, you've got a high schooler, and you really need to focus on the family because your child is demanding that attention. The world demands that you put that attention and that focus on your kids right now. Maybe it's that you have adult children right now. Maybe you've got grandchildren, and it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you, and you're saying, right now, I want to focus on my family, which is a great goal, a noble goal. But here's what I would say to that. To focus on our family, the best thing that we can do is to help to refocus the family. It's not just the, I'm, I'm gonna go on a great big vacation and I'm gonna spend a little bit of extra time. The best thing that we could do to focus on our family is to help to refocus our family. Would you pray with me real quick? Father in heaven, we love you so much and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word, for, for truth. We pray today that you would Speak to us, Lord. Speak through me. We open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I'd love to do. is I'd, I'd love to go back to another Sermon on the Mount, kind of the original Sermon on the Mount. And this is going to be found in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we're going to be going to chapter 6. And there's so many cool parallels in the Bible. Like I could go nerdy Bible talk on this all day long. I'll spare you that, but just, just a little bit. Humor me. Well, what I think is so cool about the, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave is there are so many similarities back to the original one, the one that Moses was giving his people. Uh, really, this is the Deuteronomy is kind of his farewell speech. So he's been leading the children of Israel. He's been leading God's people for 40 years. And this is his farewell speech, his farewell tour. Almost all of Deuteronomy is one great big sermon. It is the most famous sermon in the Old Testament from the most famous person in the Old Testament. And wouldn't you know, it's by a mountain right here. Moses is the original deliverer the original redeemer, the one that God chose to rescue his people from the land of slavery and bondage. Doesn't that point to the ultimate savior in Jesus, the ultimate redeemer? And what is Moses doing in Deuteronomy? Well, he's just simply setting up, hey guys, as a part of God's people, you're no longer slaves, you're a new nation before God, this is how we're gonna act, this is how we're gonna live, that's what Deuteronomy is. 
And what's Jesus doing in the Sermon on the Mount? Saying, hey guys, that family is now expanded to be a part of this new kingdom. Here's our rules. Here's how we're going to interact. Here's how we're going to get along. There's so many parallels between what Moses is doing in Deuteronomy and what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think to best understand the Sermon on the Mount, we can go back to the original Sermon by the Mountain in the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to go to the most famous part of this speech here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is called the Shema right here. And here's what Moses says. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, that's the, the proper name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He in himself contains all things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. If those words sound familiar to you, it's because this is what Jesus would later quote when he was asked, hey, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? He quoted Moses right here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And he moves on. He says, these commands that I give you today are to be on your heart and press them Onto your children. The most famous verse, ones that the Jewish people would quote day and night, immediately right after that, what does Moses do? He says, They're to be in your hearts, but not just your hearts, but to be on the hearts of your children. He goes into coach mode right here. I mean, he has been coaching this, this team, he's been coaching Israel for 40 years, and they have been some rough players, right? And he's getting ready to to go out. He's getting ready to retire. And he's saying, here is the play to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. I'm summing it all up for this. I'm going to leave and you guys are going to go out. You're going to take this and you're going to move this whole thing forward. But he says, if you really want to have good success, it won't just stop with you, but you're going to be intentional to impress these things into your children. So parents, this is the weight that we take. And I think this wisdom, this principle rings true for us today to let the word of God not just hit our hearts, but to impress them upon our children. You know, some of the things that we get to do here at Lake Hills, I'm so grateful for. We have so many amazing tools. We have amazing people that your generosity goes to support things that are just so cool that we get to make happen, the, the camps that we get to do, the VBSs that we get to do. Uh, we've got a new preschool curriculum launching here soon next, at the beginning of next year. I'm so excited for your kids to know every single week that, that God is good, that God is powerful, that God's loving. That's gonna be on repeat for your little ones to let that be imprinted upon their hearts. For your elementary kids to be able to really figure out how the Bible and every story points to Jesus I'm so excited this next year, we're going to have something for our high schoolers where they're going to get into some grow groups. They're going to be able to elect and say, yeah, I really want to take my faith seriously. I kind of want a personal trainer, if you will, for my faith. We're going to offer classes like that for your middle schoolers, for your high schoolers. But can I just tell you, everything that we do here, we're the B team. If Moses is the coach, he's talking to the players, me and my team, we're the B team, parents. You're the A-team. Parents, you're the starters. And, 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 and dads, let me just ratchet this up a little bit more for you. I'll, I'll say for us, we're the captains of our team in that case. Dad, you know this, that, that the weight that you carry is just a little bit different, isn't it? 
things that, like, your, your wife can say to your, your kids, yeah, it'll hit, but when you say it, like, it, it really hits. You remember this with your own dads, right? That criticism means much more coming from dad. And so do compliments, too. They mean much more coming from dad. Dads, let's go with this. I think if Moses was standing here, he'd say, fathers, let's go. Let's take this seriously. Be the team captain in your own home with your kids. Imprint the word of God and the things of God upon our kids. So that all sounds good and that all sounds wonderful. And yeah, yes, yes, God has done something in me and I wanna put that in my kids. But Moses, <laughs> how, do, how do we do that? Because that's kind of a, it's kind of a big challenge, kind of a big task. Moses goes on in Deuteronomy 6, and here's what he says. Impress them on your children. How? Well, it's kind of simple, actually. He says, talk about them, you know, when you're like sitting at your home. <laughs> You've watched a couple of YouTube videos together. You're sitting at the dinner table, lunch table. You're just kind of hanging out. He says, well, that's a great opportunity just to talk about the things of God there. Or how about when you walk along the road, you know, during your daily commute? You're always in the car anyways with your kids, right? Well, that's a really great opportunity, God says, to talk about me. Use that. Or how about when you go like on a family walk, which you should totally be going on a family walk. Uh, one thing that, that I used to do with, with Adria, my, my oldest daughter, is we'd, we'd go on these little walks, we'd go on these nature hikes, and I would see, this is like the kid's pastor in me, like you see object lessons everywhere, right? And I'm, I'm crunching dead leaves and dead sticks as I'm walking and there, there's live trees above me and say, Adria, man, this reminds me of what Jesus said, that he said, I'm the vine and you're the branch. Anything not connected to me doesn't bear fruit. And look, look at all these dead leaves. What, why are they dead? Because they're not connected to the tree, that's Jesus says he's the tree, and when we stay close to him, we get to be green, we get to be fruitful, but not, not these when we're not connected to him. I remember one day I was saying, hey, Adrian, do you know what these leaves remind me of? And she goes, Dad, I've heard this so many times. <laughs> and so I told her again, all right? But it's taking those little moments. Hey, it reminded me of this. Are your kids gonna like roll their eyes at you sometimes? Sure, who cares? Do it anyways, right? He says, do this when you lie down and when you rise up. You know, in, in the morning, maybe for you and your family, you could, you could get together and have a quick huddle, a quick prayer. This is something that I get to do with my younger daughter, Vivian. Every time that we go to school in our short commute there, it's just a time where we get a pause as we're driving and just pray. Lord, Lord, we're praying for, for this day, for Vivian. Help her to shine you, to show your goodness. It's just a brief moment as we're on our way early in the morning to recenter and refocus on God before she goes out into her day. When, when we lie down, man, what an awesome opportunity we have every night before your kids go to bed. Or maybe you're the ones that go to bed first now, right? But before you go to bed, just to gather the kids up to be able to pray with them. This is Praying with your kids is not just something you do with little kids. Your middle schoolers need this. Your high schoolers need this. If you've got a child in your house, mom, dad, they need you. They need this moment of interaction, of being able to refocus, to pray about the things that were hard in that your child's day, and to thank God for the things that were good. What an awesome opportunity we have all throughout our day. 
but I, I, but I get the big hesitation here. It's in those moments and in those opportunities, I think well, many of us would say, what are we actually supposed to say? That's great, being able to capitalize on, on these, uh, these little moments. What do I say in those moments? Here's the easiest thing. If you don't know what to say, tell your story. Take that moment to tell your kids what God has done in your life. Here's what Psalm 107 says. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. If you're someone that's been redeemed by God, if God has saved you, if he's rescued you, he says, tell your story. Don't hold it to yourself. And the greatest place that your story can be told should be in your own house with your own family. Tell kids, tell your kids, tell your family what God has done in you, how God has changed you. Tell your kids what, what you've been working through. And of course, you know, wise boundaries, age appropriates, you probably uh, shouldn't get into uh, all, you know, that crazy night at the club or something like that. If you've got toddlers, exclude that. Maybe exclude that from your high schoolers too, I don't know. Uh, be wise with what you share with them, but tell your story. Tell them what you've been working through and how, how you've been asking God for help lately, how he's come through for you or how you're still waiting for him. Share what God has done. Here's why. Because your story leads to worship, both for others and for you. Have you noticed that when you hear someone's testimony, when somebody stands up maybe on a platform like this and they say, here's what God has done in my life, what is the response to that? It's to go, God, thank you. Thanks for working in this person's life. God, you're so, so good. What happens in those moments when you, you're able to get alone and you're able to silence everything and just reflect upon what God has done in your own life? I had one of those moments this week, admittedly because I was prepping for this message, <laughs> but where my, my family wasn't around and it was weird being in the house by myself for just a little bit, how it worked out, but just being able to go back through and say out loud to myself, like a crazy person, right? But being able to say like, all right, God, I, I remember where I was. I remember the pride in my own heart. Lord, I, re I remember how you showed me that, how you were so good and gentle, how you were so patient with me and I was so hard-headed, but God, you rescued me and you saved me from myself. God, thank you. What, as I remind myself of what God has done in my own life, what is the inevitable outcome? It's worship. As you get to share your story with your family, with your kids, what's the outcome gonna be? It's gonna be worship. It's not that your five-year-old's gonna raise up their hands and be like, hallelujah, Lord, thanks for rescuing mommy. Probably not that, but in their hearts, man, it's a heart of gratitude for what God has done and the people that they care the most about. Share your story with them. You know, inevitably, what's gonna happen is you, is you seize opportunities, little bits here and there and in the mornings and on my walks and throughout the day. It's, they're, they're kids and they say what they think and, and, and good for them and maybe bad for us. I don't know. Um, but they're gonna ask you questions like, mom and dad, why do, why do we do this? You realize... You realize not everybody does this, right? You realize our family is kind of weird, right? Uh, Mom and dad, you realize most people don't have conversations like this. 
Mom and Dad, you realize that most people aren't going to church. Mom, Dad, we're at church a lot on Sundays. Like, you volunteer, and mo- most people don't do that. That's, that's pretty cool, but, like, like why, why do you do that? Mom and Dad, why, why, do you, why do you write that check to the church? Why do, you, why do you give that? Do you know the vacations? Do you know the shoes I could wear if you didn't do that, Mom, Dad? Like, like why do you do that out of all things? You know that's not normal, right? Well, in this passage in Deuteronomy, Moses touches on this, and I think this is so great. Skipping down to verse 20 in chapter 6, Moses says, In the future, when your son asks, Hey, what are the meanings of all of these stipulations, all the decrees, and the laws of the Lord our God that has commanded you? You know how kids talk, right? What are the meaning of these stipulations and decrees and laws? Can you imagine your toddler (laughs) saying that? Saying, hey, mom, why, why, why do we do all these things? Why do we go to church? Why am I going to students on Wednesday night, right? Like, mom, dad, shouldn't I be studying right now instead? Uh, shouldn't I be doing that? Like, you realize this is strange. Here's what he says. Moses says, answer him this way. When your kids ask you, why are we doing these things? We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord God brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders. He says, when the Lord, when your kids question you about why you do the things that you do, why we live the way that we do, this is the opportunity to seize on, to say, oh, don't you know that daddy didn't always used to be the man that he is today. Mommy didn't always act like this. In fact, there was a time that mommy didn't know God. And, and I did things that I'm not proud of, and I was a person that I would never want you to be around. But the Lord, with the mighty hand, rescued your dad. What does that do in the mind of your kid? How does that forever imprint on them? Oh, that's why we do this. That's why we have a priority. That's why we have a commitment. That's why we do the things that we do because my mom and dad were rescued by God. Oh yeah. This is something that is not a one and done, but for us to be a constant reminder. Check out what Moses gets in next. He says, tie these things as symbols to your hands. Another translation says, write them on your hand. You remember doing that in school? You'd be afraid to forget something, so to help remember, you thought it'd be a good idea to write it on your body. Effective, right? (laughs) It says, put a symbol on your hand. I've got a symbol on my hand right here in my wedding ring. What is this to remind me of? Of my commitment, of the covenant that I've made with my wife. If you're to look close, you'll see, Seven crosses on this ring. And it's to remind me of what Paul says. Husbands, treat your wife as Christ treats the church. Love her as Christ loves the church. Give yourself to her as Christ has given himself to the church. And do I do that perfectly? If my wife were right here, she would say, no, not at all. (laughs) But it's a reminder, is it not, of the commitment and the covenant that I've made? Moses says, you're going to need a reminder. This isn't a one-time thing. I don't know if you've known this about kids, uh, but you tell them things one time, and uh, they forget, right? (laughs) It's again and again and again and again. He says, put a symbol on your hand. Hey, put it on your forehead. 
to where you look in the mirror, you're reminded of what God has done for you. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Why? So that leaving your house, you're reminded of whose you are and what you're to do here in this world. When you come back into your house, you're going to see it and remember that whether your day was great or your day was a failure, you're reminded of whose you are. He says, you need a reminder. Why? (laughs) And this is the Big, big problem for us as a people. Because it is in our nature to move on and to forget what God has done. Isn't that the truth? This is our problem. It's not that we would say, man, I don't want to do this. No, no, I, I, I just simply forget. I get caught up. My mind gets busy. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about the practice. I'm thinking about the schedules. I'm thinking about what my kids need, or I'm thinking about work, and I'm, I'm trying not to think about work, uh, but, that's, but trying not to think about work is, is making me think about work, and I'm just forgetting about really the things that matter the most. It's not like we're intentionally trying to forget, right? There's things that we do intentionally try to forget, right? You try to forget that one guy. You try to forget that one girl, You try to forget that one place, that one thing, that one time in that one area, right? There's areas of the city that you can't even drive to because it'll make you think of that one thing, right? There's songs you can't listen to because if you do, it'll remind you of that thing and you don't want to be reminded of that thing or that person. This isn't an intentional forgetting of God. This is a accidental, a gradual one where the most important things seem to slip out of focus for us. This is where Moses would go on in Deuteronomy to reiterate the importance of the annual feasts. There were seven times throughout the year in the Jewish calendar that these were supposed to be special feasts, days of remembrance, where God's people would all stop everything they're doing, like everybody, and they would go through these very specific acts. I don't want to call them rituals, but reenacting what God had done in their lives and what God is going to do. One of these was Passover. They would reenact what happened when their fathers, when their grandfathers, great-grandfathers, were the ones that were delivered from Egypt on the day of Passover. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they're, they're making some gluten-free crackers right here. Uh, the uh, First fruits, this would be like when, when it's harvest time, right? They would harvest all their crops, but they would take the first and the best, and they would bring that before the temple, and they would put this as a sacrifice before God, saying, everything that I produced this last year, God, it all belongs to you, and I'm going to worship you with the best part of it. Isn't that cool that we get to participate in the same type of deal with our tithe today? The Feast of Weeks is called Pentecost, the Day of Atonement, the most holy day of the year where the high priest would go and make atonement for the people and the Feast of Tabernacles. I love this one because it's so strange. Uh, They would get out of their houses and they would build little tents or booths in the street to remind them that we were once a group of people that wandered in tents in the wilderness, but now God has made a permanent place for us. And they would get to act out, kind of role play what God has done. Why? It's all of these things were designed throughout the year to help them remember because God knows we are a forgetful people and we need to be reminded. And here's why, because remembering helps us to refocus. When I remember the things that God has done in my life, 
and in my family. It helps me to bring back into focus the thing that matters most. Seek first the kingdom of God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if we don't have these specific days or moments of remembrance fixed and built into our everyday life, a day turns into a week, turns into a month, where we're just totally oblivious to what God has done and wants to do in our life. Remembering helps us to refocus. This is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about the, the hall of faith in the chapter before that, he says, let us throw aside everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us push aside all of those things that are distracting us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Another translation says, focusing our eyes ahead onto Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. We need to refocus, not just for us, but to come alongside our family, to come alongside our kids, our little kids, our big kids, even our adult kids to help them refocus on the things that matter most. Just real quick, I wanna go through just a few, few points on this, what it looks like to have re, a times of remembrance and refocusing. And the first thing to note is this, is that refocusing is intentional, meaning it's not gonna happen on its own. Uh, a, a big deal is this, is it's unnatural. Uh, my wife loves things to be organic. She loves for things just to come up. You know, little conversations at the dinner table uh, like uh, uh, would you rather. I love that. I think that's a really fun game. My wife doesn't like it because it's not natural, right? I want conversations to be organic, and I like when things are organic. We, we got to sit down for our 14th wedding anniversary not long ago and just kind of reflect organically as to what it has been like over the last four, 14 years, the good times and the bad times and Oh man, it was such an amazing conversation. It was, it was one I hope I remember forever and it came so naturally, but those are so few and far between. If we're gonna do this with our kids, if we're really gonna be intentional about creating moments of remembrance, moments of refocusing, we've gotta embrace the unnatural part of this because it doesn't just normally happen. Think about the different holidays and the different feasts. Those just didn't happen. It's not gonna be natural where it's like, you know what we should do? We're in this comfy house. Let's get out in a tent in the rain in the street. Like that's, that's not natural, but it was intentional to get the people to refocus. Next part is, is it's inconvenient, all right? Talk to one of these uh, ancient Israelites that were hauling grain in a cart with a donkey if they were lucky, more likely them, hauling their grain to the temple. Was that inconvenient? Extremely inconvenient, right? But it was intentional still to create a place, a moment of remembrance, to remember how God has provided for them yet again. It was intentional. Are these moments that you're gonna create in your schedule inconvenient? Totally. Is it inconvenient to come to church, to gather together? By the way, that's what these gatherings are. It's where we together can come to reflect and remember, oh yeah, what God has done in my life, what he is doing, what he's going to do in my life. Are, is this inconvenient at times? Oh yes, 
Is bringing your student to church on Wednesday night inconvenient? Yes. It doesn't matter what day of the week we have it. It's always inconvenient, right? But it is very intentional to put ourselves in those spaces of remembrance. I think is this, is it's non-circumstantial as well. Like, God's people were to hold these feasts all throughout the year, despite their circumstances. When things were going great in Israel and when they were under occupation. So for us, we create these moments of remembrance and refocusing in the good. And it's sometimes easy to do this in the good, right? It's easier to praise God when things are going well, but it is often more difficult to remember. A couple chapters later, here's what Moses says. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Check this out. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have around you is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Man, it's in the good times that we have to be even more intentional to focus, to tell ourselves, to remind ourselves of what God has done for us, to bring our family alongside and say, man, I know right now is good. Let me tell you why. We refocus in the bad too. When things aren't going well, you know, we're more reminded of God when things aren't going well. I don't know if you saw this, this I call it a, a sound bite this week from some uh, captain of the U.S. women's soccer team. Last game of her career blows out her ACL. Bummer, man. Bummer to the max. And at the end, you know, she goes to a post-game interview says something to the effect of, I'm not a religious person. <laughs> I don't think that there's a God, but this is proof that there is no God right here. She's in a bad time, right? And, and you know what? I guess in, in a lot of ways that like I, I, I would agree with her in the sentiment of that if, if she thinks that God is there to make every day just better, 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 nothing bad's ever gonna happen to you, that God just exists to make sure that you have a great and a wonderful life. I guess I don't believe in that God either necessarily. I believe in the one that said, hey, in this world, you're going to have many troubles. Don't even worry about tomorrow. Today's enough trouble in, it, in itself. And I contrast that with my high school football coach. His name is Dennis Byrd. Uh, he played for the New York Jets. He was a defensive end, a sack machine. And he goes to, to make a sack one day in a game, collides with his own player, snaps his vertebrae, lying on the field paralyzed. His life was instantly changed. Took him to the hospital, and it was clear he was paralyzed. They did all the tests, nothing. He can't feel anymore. Dennis was the most stubborn man, I think, that I have ever met. <laughs> A great person to have is your high school football coach. And through prayer and the doctor's care and a whole lot of grit, this man over the course of months and months and months like taught himself, regained feeling in his, his hands and his legs. But when I say regained feeling, I mean pain. He, he was able to eventually move and walk again. 
but under immense pain. Every moment this man lived was in agony. And, and here's this beast of a man, but the way that he would walk, you could tell something was wrong, but he would never talk about that openly, only if you would ask him about it. But yet here is a man that even in the bad was so grateful. A man that would pull high school boys aside and just say, hey, let me tell you about how good God is. Let me tell you about the miracle that it is that I'm alive, that I get to be standing, that I get to be around you today. It's two pro athletes, two devastating injuries, and two completely different approaches to that, to worship God in the good and in the bad. You know, every one of those holidays that Jesus was to ever experience, from the time that he was a boy to his crucifixion, was a holiday under Roman occupation, walking into Jerusalem, seeing the centurion's helmet, seeing the red cape, seeing the swords. It was bad. It was every single holiday that Jesus ever witnessed in person up until he became that Passover sacrifice. It was intentional for Jesus. Man, it should be intentional for you and I as well. This week, I'm gonna get in my car and I've got eight hours to go to Tulsa. That's a lot of being on the way. My goal is to sit down in that eight hours to carve out just a little bit of time to reflect and to remember, help my kids remember what God has done in daddy's life, mommy's life, and their life. To help get my family to refocus on the things that matter most. And I've got to be careful to take the words of Jesus seriously in Matthew 6. Hey, don't worry about those other things. <laughs> like legit, we get it. Thanksgiving's coming, but what's right after? Black Friday. Not worry about the deals, not worry about the sales. Am I gonna buy something? Probably, <laughs> but not let that consume my thoughts so much that I fail to focus on what's most critical, what's most important, of gathering my family around to remember what God has done to help get them to refocus on the things that matter most. I think it'd be awesome if you did the same this week. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. Thanks for opportunities like this where we get to come and remember who you are and what you've done. Father, we pray that you would help us to make the most of this week, this week of thanks, to refocus and to realign first our own hearts and then our families to you and to your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed, and your eyes closed for just a moment longer. Maybe you're in here today and you're ready for the ultimate refocusing. You're ready to receive Jesus as your Lord to say, focusing on things my way and going my own way isn't working. I need that rescue. I need that salvation. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you, what an awesome week to make Jesus the Lord of your life with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment longer. If you're in here and you say, Andrew, that's me, 
like, I want to pray that prayer. Would you raise your hand? I'm going to do this a little bit in reverse order today. If that's you, say, yeah, you know what? I want to pray this prayer. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to put him first. If that's you, would you raise up your hand real quick so I can see it? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Put your hands down. Let's, if that was you, do this. Pray something like this in your heart. Father in heaven, I love you, and I'm thankful for you. Today, Lord Jesus, I choose to put you first. I choose to follow you. I believe that you died in my place, that you rose again. And today I make you the Lord of my life. I love you. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if that's you and you just prayed that prayer and you meant business with God, number one, congratulations. Would you give them a round of applause for everybody that just prayed that prayer?